Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's serious moments, stories of oddness, of weirdness of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Good evening, everybody. This is Terry from Texas. Last week I talked about haunted Hollywood spots. I'm going to continue a little bit more. 1950s teen idol Rick Nelson was on top of the music scene for a long time. He appeared in movies, on television, on music shows, and toured extensively. He was the end-all be-all in many young teen girls' dreams, but according to his daughter Tracy, things didn't always match the public life of the perfect family of television. Ozzy and Harriet, David and Rick Nelson. In the very late 70s, the Rick Nelson family moved to a new home, new to them anyway. It was a very nice but plain ranch-style house on a property known as Mulholland Farm, the former home of screen idol Errol Flynn. In 1941, at the age of 33, Errol Flynn built his dream home high above the glitzy Beverly Hills homes that were owned by most famous stars of the time. He bought 11 and a half acres on top of a ravine off what was at that time a dusty dirt road named Mulholland Drive. He built a two-story colonial-style ranch house. The grounds also included a pool, tennis court, barn, and even a casino. He called his home Mulholland Farm. The swashbuckling superstar had some high times in the Hollywood Hills, lots of wine, women, and song. Nelson was no slouch in that department either. The teen idol turned pop legend felt a strong kinship with the spirit of Flynn, and perhaps Flynn felt it too. His spirit, or someone's, may have tried to warn Rick of his tragic fate. All the heroes in one magnificent sexy animal package. That's what Jack Warner called him. 
A scoundrel with an irresistible twinkle in his eye, Errol Flynn was what every woman wanted and what every man wanted to be. To celebrate his good fortune in Filmland, Flynn designated his dream house a playhouse. Flynn also included an elaborate bar, several secret passageways and more than a few peepholes, and circular stables copied from the Lipizzaner stables in Vienna. Flynn lived the good life for many years at the Mulholland home. In 1957, not yet divorced from third wife Patrice Wymore, the 48-year-old Flynn hooked up with 15-year-old Beverly Island. Beverly's mother, Florence, went along for the ride as often as possible, and the two women spent many nights in the home. But by then, Errol's wicked, wicked ways had taken an enormous toll on him. Bloated, in ill health, he lost his beloved home in 1959 to his first wife, Lily Demita, whose alimony was long overdue. He died later that same year. In 1959, 19-year-old Ricky Nelson was driving teenage girls crazy on both the big and small screen. He had joined his parents and brother, David, on radio's The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet at age four. The show moved to television in 1952 and ran 14 years. During that time, the world watched Ricky transform from irksome teen to rock music idol. Eventually, he married and had his own family. In 1977, he found the perfect home for them. He bought the Flynn estate from country and western artist Stuart Hamlin, who also wrote gospel music. Rick and his wife, actress Chris Nelson, moved into the Mulholland home with their four children just 18 years after Flynn's demise. The house was a two-story ranch house. It wasn't oversized or grandiose in any way, but it was sprawling, daughter Tracy said. The front door was in a place where it shouldn't have been, so we never used it. And because of that, I never really felt that the house had a heart, had a center. I would usually just come in and go straight up to my room. My bedroom used to be Beverly Adlin's, and we used to always smell this funky perfume, a really cheap perfume. All sorts of weird things went on. My shower door would open and close in the middle of the night. The toilet would flush. My shades would roll up for no reason. Tracy says that her bedroom had a two-way mirror in the ceiling that allowed guests of Flynn's to witness his physical activities with his mid-teenaged paramour, Beverly Adlin. She says there was a room above hers from which the spectators could watch. The ghost in her room, though, felt distinctly feminine. Ms. Adeline died in 2010, so at the time of this story, she was still living. Could it have been her mother, who died in 1965? Instinctively, Tracy felt it was an older presence. This is going to sound crazy, but it didn't feel like a young, naive girl. It felt like a cynical presence. Florence Adeline is described as a pushy stage mom. Whoever or whatever was there, her friends felt it too. When I was going to school, girls would have slumber parties, but nobody would stay at my house. To me, it was like having a pet. Like, oh well, it's just that weird energy in the house. Rick and Chris Nelson's home life was nothing like the happy family we saw on the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. The couple was plagued by problems. Problems with their marriage, problems with their careers, and problems with drugs. In the early 80s, Chris moved out with the twin boys. 
The youngest son went to live with Chris's mother. Tracy stayed with her dad. I was doing square pegs at the time. One night I arrived home from work. It was dark. I looked up at the dining room and the light was on and there was a man standing in the dining room. I thought, oh, Pop's home. I went upstairs and called him. No answer. His car's not there and there's nobody there. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Then the phone rang and it's Pop calling from the road to say he'd be home tomorrow. Tracy told him what she had just seen and Rick replied, oh, that's just Errol. Uh, nice answer for your daughter, Dad. The following day, Tracy came home from work while it was still light out. She went straight to her room to read. After a few minutes, there was a noise from downstairs. It sounded like someone had broken in. My father had a room below mine full of his gold records and, and awards and all of it hanging on the walls. It sounded like whoever was down there was smashing all the gold records and dad's stuff. And I remember thinking, oh my God, take anything, but don't take those. I hid myself in the closet and I waited for the noise to stop. It was really loud. The house was shaking. It sounded like people were throwing things against the walls, breaking chairs and breaking glass. The sun finally went down. It had been quiet for a while, and I thought it was finally safe to go downstairs. Tracy expected to find the place in shambles, but there was no broken glass, no smashed furniture. Instead, all the lights had been turned on. Two pet cats were in Rick's bedroom and the door had been locked from the inside. Nothing else in the house had been touched. She called her dad and told him she was moving out. A short time later, after she had moved into her own apartment, Rick and his girlfriend called her one night. The weirdest thing happened, they told her. We were downstairs and we heard all this noise coming from your room. We thought we were being robbed. Things were crashing and breaking. We called the police, ran outside down the driveway, and waited for them to come. When they got there, the couple continued, they went upstairs to investigate. Your door was locked from the inside. When they opened it, they discovered that all the lights in the room had been turned on, but not a thing had been touched. Rick Nelson lived in the Mulholland house for two more years until his death in a plane crash in 1985. On the night before Ricky's death, on New Year's Eve, Tracy either saw Errol Flynn's ghost, if you're a believer, she has a history of ESP on her mother's side of the family and is sensitive to spirits, or dreamt seeing it. He was dressed in a tuxedo and he raised a wine glass to her. Before disappearing, he grinned widely and simply said, Happy New Year. Tracy recalls that the spirit in the house changed dramatically after that. It had been playful before, but after my father died, it turned malevolent. My brothers and I could literally feel when my father's presence was gone, and when he left, it just turned ugly and scary in the house. My ex-husband always had a hard time believing any of this ghost stuff. 
After Dad died, we were removing some furniture and he went outside and refused to go back in. He told me, something's in that house and I don't even want to be near it. Richard Dreyfus, Tracy's co-star in Down and Out in Beverly Hills, talked to her about buying the house, but Tracy warned him away. It's a bad house and it's got something bad in it. The Mulholland house stood vacant after Rick Nelson's death. During that time, darkness seemed to completely envelop the place. A gang broke in and murdered a girl in the living room. Then a mysterious fire burned half the house. I've tried to figure it out. There was a lot of really wacky stuff going on in terms of drug usage in the house when I was growing up. I believe all that stuff creates energetic chaos. I don't know what else to call it. So it was a wacky place to live anyway. Then compound that with the history of the place. All the women on my mother's side are very psychic. My grandmother, my mom, myself. Since I was a kid, I've always been very open to the possibility of ghosts because I've always kind of felt them. I never saw anything, but I felt them. All I can tell you is that it was definitely haunted. Tracy has a theory about the two explosive smashing episodes. Perhaps Flynn or the cynical woman were trying to warn Rick of impending tragedy. When the warnings failed and Rick was killed at age 45, before his time, like Errol, the spirit turned black. My father's dying was such a cataclysmic thing for the family. Maybe it, the smashing, was a warning. Maybe it was, but who knows. The house was torn down years ago and the acreage divided up into separate lots. But Tracy still has nightmares about it all the time. It's all so real in the dreams. But my brother gave me some great advice. He told me, Tracy, the only place that house exists now is in our minds. Did you know that Beverly Hills has a Bermuda Triangle of sorts? Apparently the intersection of North Linden Drive and North Whittier Drive in Beverly Hills, there's a, it's an angular, it's not a 90 degree intersection, it's an angular intersection. The immediate properties around this strange triangle of land in Beverly Hills have taken on a mysterious aura. In 1946, a plane piloted by Howard Hughes slammed into a row of houses and came to rest at 808 North Whittier. Bugsy Siegel was murdered at 801 North Linden in 1947, and Jan Berry of Jan and Dean was nearly killed in a real-life dead man's curve accident in 1966. In November of 2010, Hollywood publicist Ronnie Chasen was shot in her car at the corner of Sunset and Whittier. Chasen hit the gas and careened into a streetlight at 815 North Whittier, adding to the legacy of one of the most sinister intersections in Los Angeles. During World War II, the Hughes Aircraft Company received an Army Air Force's contract for 100 F-11 reconnaissance aircraft. But in May 1945, the contract was canceled. Hughes Aircraft was allowed to complete two XF-11 prototypes. On July 7th of 1946, Hughes took his first prototype on its maiden flight and crashed. The Los Angeles Times reported the next morning, Howard Hughes, millionaire aircraft manufacturer, oil man, motion picture producer, and one of the most famous civilian pilots aviation has ever known, was critically injured yesterday when he crashed in Beverly Hills 
while flying his experimental Army photographic plane on its maiden flight. Hughes, doing his own test hopping, appeared to have tried to reach the Los Angeles Country Club golf course on which he apparently intended to crash land the twin-engine plane. According to actor Dennis O'Keefe, who witnessed the entire episode from his home at 802 North Linden Drive, the plane appeared to have been flying at an extremely low altitude, judging from the sound of the approaching engines. Hughes fell about 300 feet short of the golf course in this treetop clipping attempt. The gigantic photographic plane, both of its powerful engines whining, tore more than half the roof from a two-story dwelling at 803 North Linden Drive, occupied by Dr. Jules Zimmerman, a dentist. Simultaneously, the plane's right wing sliced through the upstairs bedroom of the home next door to Zimmerman's at 805 North Linden Drive, narrowly missing its occupants, Jerry DeCamp and his wife Elizabeth, who were in the room at the time. Caroming off the garage in the rear of the DeCamp residence, the XF-11 continued its swath of devastation, slicing through a line of poplar trees bounding the rear of 808 Whittier Drive, the home of Lieutenant Colonel Charles Meyer, interpreter at the war crimes trials in Europe, and burst into flames as it crashed into the Meyer home. One of the plane's tremendous radial engines, torn from its mounts by the impact, hurtled more than 60 feet through the air, passing through the Meyer home, tearing a gash through the corner of a home at 810 Whittier Drive, owned by Gasta B. Gustin, a retired Swedish industrialist, and finally came to rest on the Gustin lawn. Hughes was saved from death as the plane exploded into flames by Marine Sergeant William Lloyd Durkin, stationed at the El Toro Marine Base, and Captain James Gustin, 22, son of the industrialist and recently released from the Army. Benjamin Bugsy Siegel was an American mobster. He was known as the most infamous and feared gangsters of the day. He was described as handsome and charismatic. He became one of the first front-page celebrity gangsters. He was also a driving force behind the development of the Las Vegas Strip. Siegel was not only influential within the Jewish mob, but like his friend and fellow gangster Meyer Lansky, but he also held significant influence within the American Mafia and the largely Italian-Jewish National Crime Syndicate. Siegel was one of the founders and leaders of Murder, Inc., and became a bootlegger during Prohibition. After the 21st Amendment was passed repealing Prohibition in 1933, he turned to gambling. In 1936, he left New York and moved to California. His time as a mobster, although he eventually ran his own operations, was mainly as a hitman in muscle, as he was noted for his prowess with guns and violence. In 1939, Siegel was tried for the murder of fellow mobster Harry Greenberg, but he was acquitted in 1942. Siegel traveled to Las Vegas, Nevada, where he handled and financed some of the original casinos. He assisted developer William Wilkerson's Flamingo Hotel after Wilkerson ran out of funds. Siegel took over the project and managed the final stages of construction. The Flamingo opened on December 26, 1946 to poor reception and soon closed. It reopened in 1947 with the finished hotel. 
Three months later, on June 20, 1947, Siegel was shot dead at the home of his girlfriend, Virginia Hill, in Beverly Hills. On April 12, 1966, Jan Berry was critically injured in a motor vehicle accident in Los Angeles when he crashed his Corvette into a parked truck. Berry was initially thought dead at the scene of the crash, and after being taken to the hospital, it took him many, many years to recover. The accident effectively ended the duo's, Jan and Dean's that is, soaring career, and it wasn't until the late 80s that they did some minor touring depending on Jan's health. Chasen was shot in Beverly Hills on November 16th of 2010 at approximately 12.28 a.m. after she was driving home from the Hollywood premiere of the film Burlesque. Neighbors near the intersection of Whittier Drive and Sunset Boulevard in the city of Beverly Hills originally reported hearing gunshots in front of their homes, but more calls came in to the 9-11 call center a few moments later stating that a late model black Mercedes-Benz had run a curb, then hit and toppled a concrete streetlight. When police arrived, they found Chasen slumped in the driver's seat. In and out of consciousness, the front passenger side window was shattered. Chasen was pronounced dead at Cedar sinai Medical Center later. Would you like to visit the house that was used in the video Thriller by Michael Jackson? The Sanders House, also known as the Thriller House, which is at 1345 Carroll Avenue in Los Angeles, is a quiet Victorian house in Angelino Heights, and it's the dilapidated shack in which Ola Ray took refuge in and was savagely attacked by zombies in the 1983 music video, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Bonus, the house from Charmed is located two doors down at 1329 Carroll Avenue. Double whammy, thrill seekers. Greystone Mansion at 905 Loma Vista Drive, Beverly Hills, is an imposing manor built in 1928. This house was intended as a gift from wealthy oil baron Edward Doheny to his son. Just months after the younger Doheny and his family moved in, however, he and his personal secretary were found dead in a mysterious murder that remains unsolved. The John Snowden House at 5121 Franklin Avenue, Los Feliz, was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright's son, and approaching this residence gives strange Mayan meets Blade Runner vibes immediately. But it's not the unusual architecture that makes this place creepy. The site is infamous as the home of a number of years of a Dr. George Hodel. Dr. George Hodel may not ring a bell with you, but Hodel's son would go on to become a homicide detective who speculated that his own father tortured, murdered, and dismembered Elizabeth Short, known as the Black Dahlia, in the house in 1947. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. On Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show, where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, 
where we cover just about anything you can think of. We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from the Witching Hour and from Unexplained Cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android, you can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it. You can't miss it. And you can download that app, install it into the device you listen to the programs on, and that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.